Tune in weekly and listen to the Collateral Damage Podcast, where Michael Wilson and Maureen Kavanaugh host a variety of special guests to discuss topics and available services that will help you learn about the impact that substance use has on our lives, our families, and on our communities nationwide. Episodes and listening information can be found at www.cdpodcast.com. You can also search for Collateral Damage Podcast on your favorite listening platforms or watch previous and future episodes on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Collateral Damage. This is Mike Wilson, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Maureen Cavanaugh. How you doing, Maureen? I'm good, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well. It's been a while. It's, okay. yeah, new, new season, new episodes yeah, coming. Yeah, this is... All new it's stuff. Been a, yeah, it's been a while. This is so... So we can't quite call it post-COVID, right? No, I'm afraid not. Not yet. Not <laughs> I'd yet. love to call it that, but I don't think so, no. <laughs> it's the mid. Let's call it mid-COVID. I think it's mid-COVID. Mid-COVID, yeah. se- new season. And um, our hopes, as always, are to bring uh, as much information as we can about resources, about, you know, as our name suggests, the impact that this is having on communities and people and families. And so we choose our guests accordingly based on, you know, what brings the most information, what, what is going to add uh, to, the, to the family toolbox, if you will, you know, and um, you always get the greatest guests. And um, I, you know, I think so I've outdone myself this time. You, you have, you have, you keep doing that. And so <laughs> I was just down, to, I was just in my house watching the fourth episode screaming at the television. Right, right, <laughs> yes. yeah. And uh, well, you know, what we'll do. Let's bring in our guest. Um, and so today on our show, we have Dan Schneider, uh, the pharmacist of the acclaimed Netflix docu series uh, titled "The Same: The Pharmacist." Um, and I gotta say, I watched it. And I was telling you this before the show. I watched that whole first season. I was the first episode, and I was just like, "Let's get to the thing." But just just the buildup and watching you chase down these these tips and this this person and interviewing these people and i mean the detective in you was just yeah you were out. So, in another life you were a detective for sure and persistent <laughs> man the persistence is what it was yeah. like at each one of those turns where you could have just stopped and accepted it for what it was like you know i gotta say that it was it was uh frustrating and inspiring at the same time to watch i appreciate it and I can only imagine how frustrating you must have been going through all of that because you were just running into roadblocks everywhere. So um, thank you for joining us. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I'm glad to be yeah. on board to, to answer your questions and also spread my message. Yep. Well, I will say, um, you know, my first question as somebody who has never had the pleasure of being on a television show, um, that was your first experience being on TV, correct? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I have to ask, what was the uh, what was the experience like having Netflix come into your life and help you expose this thing that you went through? Well, it was unique, you know, uh, having cameras in your house set up and, you know, all uh, the props that they do and whatnot. It wasn't a real movie, but it was a documentary. But uh, what was really amazing is that, you know, I, I went from being, you know, I, I don't want to say a nobody, but I, I went from not having any real notoriety, having done a lot of things in the past, but they hadn't really came to light in any grand scale. And the uh, last 10 years of my advocacy, which is when I was like, say, 55 to 65, the, uh, you know, it, it was tough because I was trying to get into the political side, trying to make a difference, but I didn't get a lot of people 
to, to listen to me or traction. Mm-hmm. And now I find that I, I, I have a platform. I, I'll give you, the, I'll give you the, the one example that tells you the difference of what this Netflix docuseries did. Okay. Shortly after I get a, I, I get a call from uh, Ireland and there's a, a church in Ireland in, in a little town called Deary and they want me to speak in their cathedral. Okay. Now, 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 I've never even spoke before publicly in a sense, other maybe a high school gym, okay? Yeah. And, and they want to fly me to Ireland and they want to know if I got first class tickets. You know, and it's like, what world am I in? And, and then, then the next day I get a phone call and it's, this guy, guy calls me and he says, yes, this is Michael Botticelli. And I'm thinking to myself, he must be an opera singer. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so he, uh, he says, no, he says, I, I, didn't, I didn't say that, but I thought it, okay. He says, uh, yeah, I, I was Obama's drug czar, okay? And, and, I, I, and, and I want to talk to you. I want to congratulate you, but I, I, want to, I want to run some ideas by you and I want some ideas from you. Now, a guy like that just two weeks before the docuseries, if I'd have called his office and said, I'd like to speak to Michael Bocicelli, I wouldn't have had a prayer in hell. Okay, and so, you know, so it changed things, and for the better now, you know, I had actually been retired, in a sense, even from advocacy, for about two years, and then they came up with this docuseries, and the story came out, and it took a couple of years to, to, to bring this thing all the way to where it got. Now, right. It was initially a written story, and uh, anybody that wants to can go to NOLA.com, which is the New Orleans area news, news source. And it's justice for Danny, and you can get a written version of the pharmacist, and it's got a lot of detail that the pharmacist didn't have. Of course, it's wow. got the, the docuseries has got more than what it had too. But they both, they both are good, and that, that has led to this. And now a movie. Uh, uh, now we've had a purchase uh, of, of the story, and uh, we wow. can have a movie. So the, the producer is the guy that produced uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Okay, so, yeah. so I know my life has changed, uh, you know, people recognize me to some extent, but, but what's exciting for me about that is, okay, I think I got some great ideas, I always thought I did now, you know, I hope, I hope it's just not ego or whatnot, or I'm kidding <laughs> myself, okay, but I can never really get too many people to listen, but now they're listening now, and then the next, the next question is, is to get it past listening to action, so. All right, and I think it's amazing, I mean, this is what happens is you, when things like this happen, you you then have this platform where people start to listen. So I just want to say, you know, to begin with, that I'm so sorry for the loss of your son. And um, and I know that the amazing thing about what you're doing right now is it's it you you have this terrible loss and and found ways to to uncover what had happened to him and and bring all that to light. And that just gave you the the, the groundwork. And maybe some of, probably some of the inspiration to do what you're doing now, but you're not doing anything you're doing now to benefit you or anyone you know. You, you've taken this on to help other people's children and other people's family members, even though you've lost your own. And I don't, I, I mean, to me, that's a true hero. You know, that's um, somebody who's, who's really not like a lot of people. And I, I just am so impressed by that. And, um, and, and I, I thank you from a mother who went through this for many years with her own daughter. Um, and thank God she's got three years sober now. But it wasn't, wow. I mean, I've stood in front of Purdue Pharma and, and protested. So, I, I mean, I know the impact of all those opioids. And I can't tell you how many times I said to myself, what about the pharmacists? What if they see all this happening? 
So I find it so, uh, it does my heart good that you've come and that you, it's you that's doing this for me. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's tough. I'm a little bit disappointed in my own profession, actually. Okay, but, but, I, but I will qualify that by saying this. After uh, my son, you know, was murdered buying drugs, and which was pretty much a total shock to me. I, I, the only thing I know that he had did was like marijuana, okay? Mm-hmm. First thing you know, he's out there buying crack and he gets killed. No rehabs, no, no police arrests, no nothing, just dead. And, uh, and I knew very little about uh, uh, the drug abuse. And, and also, I was one of the people that perpetrated, you might say, to some extent, the stigma. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of looked down at the people that came in. I called them drugstore addicts. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I thought less of them than, than, than what I would now, okay? And, uh, this changes and, uh, us. This changes us. Yeah, all of a sudden, your kid, you know, you say, well, wait a second, you know, I know this kid wasn't a bad kid, you know, so then, mm-hmm. you, start, then you start really studying addiction and the brain chemistry, and we didn't get that in pharmacy school, okay? Uh, but back to, back to the pharmacist, most of us knew that this wasn't right, okay? Uh, that, all right? And, but, you know, you know, it's the age-old thing uh, that, you know, it's somebody else's problem. Okay, you know, the police ought to take care of that. The DEA ought to take care of that. The FBI ought to take care of it. And actually, I guess they're right. They should. Okay, but what do you do when they don't? Okay, and and, and then what do you do when they don't? And you, and you see it creating addiction, creating people with substance abuse, creating death. You know, uh, you know, what do you do? And most pharmacists just kind of turned ahead the other way. There were a few that were actually greedy. You can make you could also make big money when yeah. this was taking place. But I would say probably the majority of them, it wasn't really just greed. It was just looking the other way. Some of them even ran some of this business off, okay? And uh, uh, they thought somebody else would take care of it. Uh, you know, and I, I'll tell you one big disappointment I had, though. You know, you see my struggle putting this doctor out of business. And they didn't go through all the detail. But I initially reached out to the medical board. Which is ultimately in the very end is how it worked out. But uh, I originally, and I really got nowhere with them. I even kind of started saying, Jesus, well, they bought off the hot two. And, uh, you know, now I realize they weren't, but uh, they were waiting on the DEA and FBI who had more resources, okay? And uh, they didn't have the money to prosecute, okay? And, and maybe for a while they just wasn't paying attention. Okay, but the, I, 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 I talked with them and I, I didn't write a letter, maybe I should have, I didn't put it in writing, but I talked to them a couple of times, got nowhere. So I went around to about 10 pharmacists in my community, okay, and I asked a couple of them to go to the medical board with me, okay, and I really believe if I got three or four pharmacists to go with me to the medical board mm-hmm. and got a conference with them, I, I think the thing would have ended a lot sooner with a lot less grief, okay, uh, but I couldn't get one pharmacist to go with me. Okay. Really? Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, that sounds really horrible. But, you know, most people would say, well, it was greed. No, no, it wasn't. It was just like, that's not my job, you know. And, and uh, Do you think it was fear? Do you think it was fear? Because like, I mean, well, you it was a little bit of fear. You know, you, 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 yeah. you can get, I mean, I had threats and, and yeah, there's, there's a little right. There's a little bit of fear, uh, and, and and you're all running off your own business, basically, and, and they, they're going to go see somebody else if they don't go to you, and, uh, 
So I don't know all the ifs, buts, and ends, but I know the difference with me was, you know, the reason why I don't persecute them too badly is because if I wouldn't have lost my son, I might have, I might have been the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we have to get people to, to not be that way. It, right. And hopefully without losing a kid, okay? Mm-hmm. Hopefully we can get some people to step up to play. Maybe not do what I did. Uh, you know, my, my words are like, you know, we, we got to get, we definitely need a few people to do a lot. But we need a lot of people to do a little, okay? And, and most people won't do anything already, you know. Those guys could have called the medical movement probably, but they didn't even make the phone call, you know. So right. any of that, uh, I think it's changed. I think today, if I had a bad doctor, I could get some pharmacists to go up there with me. And not just because I'm the pharmacist now, okay? Mm-hmm. The, the stigma and the knowledge about the addiction, you know, early on we were all caught up in this BS. Uh, the medical community was telling us that this was the right thing to do. Uh, Purdue Pharma had bought off doctors and studies, and 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 they were saying this is. Uh, and the FDA approved the literature that said it was less than one percent addictive. Uh, you know, so you you had the, almost the government also siding with this. So, hey, there's a lot of blame to go around, and I would have to say, in general, the pharmacist was at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all got to do our part, and and I, I am I'm motivating pharmacists in particular now in my movement though and say, look, we kind of let this slip through the gate. We call the gatekeepers, and we kind of let this slip through the gate. Okay, let's not worry about whether we were right or wrong, but let's lead us out of this. You know, it, you know, and I, I and, and I'm getting some reaction to that. That's great. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of frontline people out there. I mean, there's. picture myself having that same perspective that you had as a pharmacist prior to you know what I mean and some of these other ones that the you know perpetuating the stigma I could see myself doing that because even in my own even in my own recovery even even in my own sobriety with you know a decade of recovery sometimes I have to catch myself you know and I think somebody who has less experience than that it would be so easy to just get caught up and like you know yeah they're just uh, they're they're uh uh, the junkie, or the this or the that, and, and the action that's needed, you know, to really step in and do something requires that you don't see them that way. Exactly. And I think that even for good people, if you don't see them as someone struggling with an illness, it's really hard to want to overstep your boundaries, or it's really hard to want to step in and and get messy with them and try to solve this problem. So, like, I can see fear being a, a really a big hurdle for people: fear of losing their business, fear of you know, other pharmacies picking up the business that they're not willing to take because they're trying to stand up against something. It's like, if we don't all stand up on it together, then basically what we're saying is none of us are going to do it and you're going to get all the business. <laughs> um, well, in some cases too, doctors, you know, there's a, a little bit of resentment. I mean, we get along with a lot of doctors, but doctors can kind of be aloof, okay? And it's like, sometimes they don't want to listen to a pharmacist, okay? And they have a very strong medical board, okay? And, you know, they they go the extra yard. They give these doctors a lot of latitude before they come down on them. So you, we would have had to do a convincing case. I think we could have did it, but we, we would have had to go up there. We'd have had to go up there with some proof. It would have taken still a little work, okay? Uh, and, and so, but, you know, I wanted to bring up what you just brought up, okay? Stigma hit me in the face when, when all of a sudden I went to the police and was, was hoping that they would try to find my son's killer. And, and I, you know, that's a different kind of stigma, but th- that stigma prevented them from really looking for his killer. You know, 
Absolutely. Hey, you know, why put myself out there and take this risk and put all this effort for a junkie? You know, so stigma hit me in the face. I started learning a lot of lessons right away. And that has definitely limited the, the, us getting out of this tragedy that we in. I, I call it the, the, uh, the, they did it to themselves syndrome. Okay. Uh, that, you know, uh, that, that's what a lot of people say. In fact, I even still get it on the internet or Facebook sometime, you know, where I'm advocating for extra resources and extra money and such to, to do with the problem. And someone said, well, why should we do that? You know, I mean, geez, I mean, you know, all they got to do is stop doing it. Okay. Who, who, who forced them to put the needle in their arm? Okay. Who forced them? Did somebody throw the pills down their throat? Okay. All right. Until, they don't, it's their, until it's their child, and then everybody, everything changes. They just don't get it, the fact that it actually changes the brain, uh, okay? And, and, and that's another little thing that I'm thriving on right now, okay? We have a different kind of addiction that's taken place now than happened in the past, okay? Uh, no offense, but in the past, you know, when we called these people junkies, okay? And that was wrong, okay? Uh, but truthfully, most of the people in the past, and I'm talking about 20 years ago or 30 years ago, most of those people started doing drugs by choice, okay? And they actually did it for excitement or to get high, okay? And so the overwhelming majority of them made a bad choice, okay? And uh, so, so that gives them a little piece of guilt in there, okay? However, let me tell you, I'm not, I'm not putting those people down again now, okay? Uh, they made a choice for a while. They didn't choose to be an addict, okay? Uh, they didn't exactly understand what was going to happen to their brain, okay? So their brain became diseased, and now all of a sudden it's not a choice to keep doing this thing, okay? So, but, but that's one category. What we have now is over 50% of the people that are, are, are substance use people or addicts out there, okay, they, 50% of them got a prescription from the doctors the way they started. They didn't even choose to do this to get high. Uh, you know, you know so, so when we're talking about they did it to themselves, well, who? Uh, uh, you know, maybe, maybe some of them chose, okay, and still they, and then look, the pharmaceutical industry was pushing it down their throats. Doctors was pushing it down their throat, uh, uh, you know. Of course, drug dealers out there marketing in vulnerable populations, uh, you know, uh, stresses and whatnot, and, and, and they, they pick these things up. Purdue actually studied areas where they knew that the people like were out of work and maybe they had did some physical work. They actually targeted those areas with that, with that drug. Now, they claimed this because they knew these people were in pain, okay? Well, well it, 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 total bullshit, okay? I mean, you know, they, they did it because they knew these people were vulnerable, okay? They knew they would have a market there, okay? That drug, OxyContin, was originally intended for cancer pain, okay? And and, and, and it was a great drug for cancer pain. If, if, if I'm dying of cancer, give me OxyContin, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and there's a few other instances for acute pain short term. It, it can be a good drug, okay? But you know what the problem with Purdue was? Okay? It wasn't a big enough market, how much money can you make just giving pills to people that are going to die in a couple of weeks? Okay. <laughs> okay. If they could turn this into chronic pain, they could have customers for life. <laughs> okay. And, they, and, and, and they, the world would be their market. Who doesn't have some aches and pains? And, and if it's not addictive, hell, take it when you get a, a little ache or pain. So anyway, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm ranting on. But, uh. No, you're ranting good. It's good. It's true. You know, there was a part of, it was, there was a young girl in there, like a 16-year-old that 
uh, was prescribed in the, in the, in the docuseries, uh, 80 milligrams of Oxycontin and Roxycontin and, and, um, and Soma and uh, Xanax. My, it blew my mind. I was like, what's the question? Why isn't this woman in jail? What are we, what, why is this even going on? It was making me, it was making me, I just had surgery and they gave me five milligrams of Oxycontin for four days and that's it. That's and it. after that, I, I'm sure, I didn't even take all of them, but I, I, I'm sure that if I called the, the doctor and asked for more, I wasn't getting them. Well, you know, in that case, I will say this, that, that, that wasn't intended for that young girl. No, of course not. Okay, yeah. but I mean, I, I nailed her on it because she wrote the prescription for her, okay? And it's, it's right. definitely the way I, 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 I got her, okay? But uh, it was the mama. The, the mama was gonna be selling those pills. Now, the, the difference is, Cleggett knew that. Right. Okay. Now, when I called her though, and I said, "Did you write these prescriptions?" Yes. And I said, "Do you think?" I said, "These drugs could kill this girl." And she said, "Who made you an effing doctor?" Okay. Uh, you know, and I, that nailed her. She nailed her own coffin. And so, karma, uh, karma got her. We hope that you're enjoying this episode of Collateral Damage. Now, please take a moment to recognize our sponsors. Treatment always felt like such a drag to me looked at our own experience and where where we came from and what worked for us and what didn't work for us and you know what we saw work for our friends and for our colleagues and that's kind of like what we've integrated into Bay State is just that community like you know you come here for 30 days but we're really here for you for a lifetime because of our experience I think what we what we can offer to people is hope uh, first-hand experience that it does work uh, power by example Hi, this is Maureen Cavanaugh of Magnolia Recovery and Consulting Services. It's long been said that addiction is a family disease. It affects everyone it touches. I know this all too well, and that's why I provide connection, education, and support through individual family coaching services, NADAC-approved training for those that work in treatment and recovery, community groups and schools, as well as keynote speaking services where I offer hope and insight into the family perspective of addiction and family recovery please reach out at 617-291-3266 or email me at maureen at magnoliacs.com. And now back to our episode. What, what is it that makes, made you different about, because I agree with I you. I agree. Lots of people, you had some great line in there about how some, I, and I can't remember what it is, about how some people uh, sit back and do something. Some people do something, sit back and do something. Some people... And I can't remember what it is, but what? yeah, yeah. The deal is, 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 is some some way, some people watch things happen. Some people make things happen. Some people say, "What happened?" And you make things happen. Yes, but and you know, I was like that a little bit. If you really trace back, because they, they question me on that too. Everybody is trying to analyze what I did, what I did. Uh, I think it, you know. I guess I'm biased. I am biased. Okay, my boy was a really special kid. Okay. And uh, he died at the worst moment of his life. And the police treated him like a piece of shit, okay? And that beat my head up, okay? And, and, and I, I think that's what drove me. Now, the first thing that started driving me was, it wasn't just so much get the killer, it was show those cops I could do it, okay? If you ain't gonna go out there and do it, I'm gonna go out and do it. And then they belittled me. He said, "Ah, oh, you're a pharmacist. You ain't shouldn't be doing that. So take care of your kids, okay?" And so it, it really also became a challenge that you know I was gonna show these cops I could do it, okay? And then 
but then, you know, I learned about addiction and I got motivated and then, you know, and, and then I realized I couldn't save my son and I was frustrated about not being able to save my son and, you know, okay, so what else can you do with the rest of your life now? Okay. Maybe you can save some other body, uh, some other kid. And, and, and I guess God put me in the right place or somewhat the wrong place. Okay. Actually, there were times when my wife was aggravated with this and even, even myself was kind of overwhelmed with it that, you know, the only way I was going to get away from it was to leave pharmacy, okay? Because it was happening in pharmacy at that time. So I had this in my face constantly. How can I look the other way when I knew these kids were going to die? They looked like my son, uh, okay? And so uh, there was a lot of things that kept me motivated along the way, okay? But it was just a, the, the slap on the head when, when he died and the way they treated him. And then I realized how we treated addicts and, and, uh, and then... Uh, you know, just a, I can't even define it myself, but, but I will say I had a trace of that, you know, uh, they, they look back in my future, they, we used to have a, a football drill, it just shows you how determination you had. They had a football drill and you would get in the center of this thing and around you, you had a, all the other football players and they would take turns hitting you, okay, and you'd have to turn around in different directions as, as they came at you. It was a pretty tough drill, okay, and so, you know, uh, uh, most guys would go in there and they get hit a couple of times and they'd fall down. Okay. But they didn't have to fall down. They would fall down on purpose. You know, it, it, rather than get exhausted. Well, I guess I didn't do that. You know, I got to the point of almost exhaustion before. I, so one of the coaches called me on the side and said, Snyder, look, he says, man, you're not supposed to stay up there that long. Okay. He said, you know, you know, let him hit you a couple of times. Okay. Be a little tough guy like that. And then just fall down and then it's over with. You know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I guess I, I, I take a beating, you know, I, but I was determined. I, I, maybe I could save some lives. And, and I felt I had a knowledge that other people didn't have because being a pharmacist. Okay a feeling like God was on my side. He, you know, me and him kind of made a little pact together and when I, uh, overcame some things. And I'll tell you another thing that motivated me along the way too. The witness. The, the young black lady that, that came forward finally, and, and I mean, this, at the threat of her life, let me tell you, everything I did would have been for naught if she wouldn't have went into that courtroom. Really, yeah, uh, I know. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, I'll, just the other thing I want to say, if she wouldn't, I might have been a broken man. We would probably not be talking today, okay? So there was some, some God things in there, okay? I, I, hey, I'm not unbreakable, okay? I'm pretty tough, okay? <laughs> you, know, you know, every time I got to almost the breaking point, you might say, a, a point where maybe I'd think about giving up, I, I was praying and whatnot, okay? Something good would happen. Okay, and, and I guess it was hard work that caused that to happen. Uh, some people would call it luck. I, I, I'd call it maybe divine. Okay. Yeah, I think sometimes you can work really hard and things still don't happen. And so, so sometimes you got to leave it up to that. I, I believe that too. I know that when I went through all of that with my daughter and I have, I carry with me everywhere I go, the mass cards and pictures of all my friends who have lost children. And I, that's, I always look at them and I think this can't be for nothing. That's what keeps me going. And it's not, it's not even the people that it'll help. It's the, it's the people that are gone that I know their lives can't, that has to mean something. They can't have ended at 17 or 22. Well, you know, I learned another thing too. We went to Compassionate Friends, a grief group shortly after my son died. And this was while we were still investigating the murder, but we 
was trying to get my daughter to go and my wife to go, and I went along, okay? And a, a, a lady that lost her son said something to me that at first struck me uh, the wrong way, you might say. She said, you know, uh, she asked me, she said, uh, how many times have you been in court with your son? And I said, never, okay. And she said, well, how, how many rehabs has he had? None, okay. Uh, how much money has he stolen from you? Nothing, okay. And she said, you know what, you're lucky. And I had just, my son had just gotten killed and I could not deal with that hardly. I wasn't impolite to her, but, but, but you know, there's a little logic to what she said, okay? There are so many parents. Now, you had you another case that's somewhere in the middle here, okay? You're lucky too, okay? I mean, but, but look at the struggle you went through and the pain you went through, and then you, so to speak, won, okay? All right. But these people go through their kids stealing from them. They go to court. They spend a fortune, they, they, you know, they cry, they, they get, the, the kid steals from them. I mean, you know, they, they go through all this crap and then they die. Yeah. The one gift that I had is I had none of that. Okay. Yeah. And, and I do look at now, it's, it's, it's crazy. Okay. But I, I look at it as almost a gift. I have a lot of sympathy for what these parents are going through. Okay. And, and it, if we can save them, then, hey, that's great. Uh, th that's it. You know, we, we, we got to try to save everyone we can, okay? And hopefully we can get back into education and prevention and prevent some of this from happening and curtail the opiates that's getting out there and a lot of, a lot of the things that are going on out there that lead these kids into this stuff. So, um, now, I know uh, he must have been like, he's bursting now to say something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I just wanted to, I just wanted to point out something. I mean, everybody that I know, uh, that's in this industry, if you will, the addiction industry, recovery industry, advocacy industry, whatever it is, everybody that I know is driven by some pain that they had to experience, right? I mean, yours is the loss of your son that drove you to do this. You know, Maureen, it was the almost loss of your daughter. Uh, you know, for me, it was the loss of the life I could have had. Um, you know, everybody brings loss to this. And, and, you know, without that, I don't think that we would have as many amazing advocates as we do, because you have to be driven by something. You know, you can't just jump into this industry and, and be a champion in the face of all the adversity that you're going to face, because being a champion in this industry means that people are going to tell you you should give up and quit. You're going to be on the front lines helping people that don't even really want your help. There's all this stuff that you know, if you're just a logical, reasonable person in this for a job, you're going to be like, this is crazy. I can't do this. You know what I mean? They don't even want my help. Why am I even trying? Like, you're going to run into all these things. And, you know, to Dan's point, you know, sitting in that circle with people hitting you from all angles, you got to be the person that doesn't just lay down. Yeah. You can't have that without a passion. You can't have that without a loss. And, you know, just, just to take this a step further is, you know, Maureen, you and I had a guest on a while ago, uh, the soup man. Mm -hmm. um, and he lost his son, um, and he turned his son's memory into the reason why he does what he does. And, you know, what he does is thankless work, just running around, giving people clothes and soup and feeding the homeless. And like, just, he's out there fighting a good fight. And like, you know, that, and this story, these are the ones that just remind me that it takes that loss you know, to, to get the right people in the right place with the right platform and the right determination to change things like policy, right? You told us before the show about the, uh, 
the pharmacist people's lobby, you know, right. a, a project that you're trying to get off the ground. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, thank you for that. That the uh, uh, it's interesting. We've been talking about, and I, I already did say we need a, lot, a a few people to do a lot, but a lot of people to do a little. And, and, and what I'm trying to do now is I happen to notice that all the advocacy groups out there have good intentions, and they're struggling day to day to get resources usually. Okay, and they're doing the best they can. And you're right, half the time they they don't get the appreciation. Uh, a lot of these people relapse constantly. You, you wonder if you're spinning your wheels. Okay, uh, and, and but you know those people they they don't have a voice that much. And I don't know whose fault it is, whether it's their fault, but nobody has been able to collect that energy from everybody and get it to the politicians. Because the only way change happens, I wish it wasn't this way, okay, it, the, the, the politics change things. Uh, the NRA, I use that as an example, they got 5 million members, uh, you know, and some people are pro, pro NRA and, and in the whole world, some people are against NRA. And it doesn't make, that doesn't make a difference to me. The, the difference is, they have political, real political influence, okay? Oh, yeah. Where are our one million people? You know, I mean, why, why, you know, now, and I'll tell you why. Now, I looked at this. We have about maybe 100,000, 150,000 advocates out there. Of course, it's hard to even get all the advocates together to actually form a, a, a lobby where you all get together and send emails to some uh, politician or you, or you, you kind of have a little threat that maybe you could affect the election, okay? And you can, you can, you can kind of make some things happen, okay? But that's still only 150,000 of kind of crazy people because we're crazy people, okay? Yeah. okay. We, we, need, we, need, we need the people that just want to do a little, okay? Uh, they don't have to be crazy like this. I'm creating this lobby, and it's basically, you know, uh, you know, I'm not pushing for donations. You can donate, but I'm not pushing for donations. I'm not pushing for you to do anything. But most advocacy groups want volunteers. I'm going to get a few volunteers, okay? But I just want them to sign up, put their name down, and I want them to listen to what's happening. And uh, they know what's happening out there, but I'll, I'll send them emails on a regular basis. I'll keep up on what's happened. And once we get it big enough, we'll know how many people, like we might have 10,000 people in Louisiana. And we might have, uh, in, in New York, we might have 50,000 people. And maybe nationwide, we got a million people, okay? And we'll, we'll have people that fish there for what's coming up in the legislatures and stuff like that. And we'll pull all these voices together. And all these people that, that, are, uh, that don't wanna be too active, I think we can get at least half of them. Hopefully we get that million to sign on at least, okay, that they care, okay? And, and, and they should because a lot of them have lost kids, but, but none of that, they, 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 the neighbors lost a kid, or a cousin's died, or a friend has died. I mean, there's millions of people out there that's been somewhat directly affected, not like the father or the mother, but I mean, they got brothers and sisters, and you, you, you name it. And we, you know, we, we should be able to create that energy that we can actually push for policy changes and we can push for resources and we can push for the things that we actually need to change this thing because we're not getting them. You know, you know, it's, it's usually lip service. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we lost you again. <laughs> Got it now? So for all the uh, for all the conversations that, that are had politically, you know, I, I I get I get a little uncomfortable when I hear that because I know that the the human response to what's happening is very different than what the political response to what's happening would be. The human response is 
how do we help people get well? And then in addition to that, it's the old, uh, um, there's a Desmond Tutu says, you know, it's not the, you know, you see the people coming down the river, the bodies in the river, you got to go up river and find out why they're jumping in in the first place. And, and like, you know, as a, as a group of people trying to stop this from happening, you know, we don't just look at the result. The result is substance use, right? The result is access to medication and stuff like that. The result is the, 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 the cause is a culture, right? A society that relies heavily on medication to relieve pain for living in a society that they can't, re that, that they can't control or they can't handle. So, you know, politically, the solution is that we would have to create a, a more comfortable society for people to live in. And generationally, people would have to get more and more comfortable living in that society and less likely to rely on things like drugs and medication to escape. That, that sounds like so crazy and so wild that it's impossible to do. And it would require incremental change. And it would, it would probably require sequential governments, like you know, a few generations of presidents to like really institute any real change. Yeah, unfortunately, it, unfortunately it probably will take a while. And, and, and I agree with you on that. Now, I haven't spoken that much about it, but the, what we really try, what we think, and I say we, I'm already thinking of I got a million people that, that are following me, okay? I don't have that million yet, but I'm already thinking that, okay? Now, let's say you can get that, and, and you have some power. There. You can influence elections. You can send emails. You can write op-eds. You can go to the media. If you have to, you can have protests in the streets. So you might actually be able to get some action. Well, what is that action? Okay. All right. Now, I, honestly, I don't exactly have all the answers. Okay. Uh, I, I, but we are leaning in certain directions. Okay. One, we have to treat this. We have to, I don't know if you can call it decriminalization, but we got to lessen the criminal element of this thing. Okay. We got to stop making users criminals. Okay. And we have to start treating and we got to ship. We spending most of our money now on enforcement and incarceration in courts, okay? And we only spend it, I think it's like 80 or 90%. And we only spend 10 or 20% on education and prevention and recovery and you know, maybe teaching ethics in the schools or, or, or you know, whatever we have to do, okay? We gotta flip that, okay? Right. We, we, we gotta flip it to where we, we spend less money on, on enforcement and criminalization. And ultimately that's gonna be some version of decriminalization. Okay, uh, Portugal. I don't know if you guys heard about Portugal. Okay, but and 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 Portugal is not perfect, and they got some naysayers on Portugal. But I know this: in 1999, when my son was murdered, Portugal had 400 overdose deaths, and that was like a record high for them. Okay, and at that time, Michigan in, in our country, which is about the same size as Portugal, Portugal is a fairly small country. Okay, uh, well, Michigan had a thousand, so Portugal had 400, Michigan had a thousand. Well, where are we today? Okay. Well, today, Portugal's got 40 overdose deaths. They reduced theirs by 90%. Okay. Michigan's now got 2,700 overdose deaths, an increase of 300%. Okay. Well, what did they do? Okay. In 1999, they started a transition of trying to make drug users okay, lessen the stigma, okay, uh, and don't put them in jail. Do everything we can do to avoid jail. Now, now the, the, the dealers go to jail. People that commit criminal acts go to jail. Uh, and if you know, they carry in too much drugs with them, but you know, if they get stopped with heroin and it's only, I think, a five or 10 day supply, they don't go to jail. 
Now, they, 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 they have a program, okay? They bring these people in. I guess they get some sort of citation or something, okay? And there's maybe a little fine involved, okay? But if, if they'll go to a dissuasion court, and a dissuasion court is a, they, they get dissuaded from what they're doing. Uh, they get kind of coached, okay? Uh, and uh, they get tested and evaluated and all this kind of stuff. They do that, they exempt the fines, okay? They do some other crazy things. In some instances, they have safe sites, okay? Now, I, they got some limits on that. I don't exactly know what they have. We're going to be going to Portugal. Me and a bunch of people are going to be going to Portugal probably within, if COVID lets up, maybe within, say, six months. This weekend, I'm, this weekend I'm going to Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio is, is doing something there that is close to what Portugal is doing, or at least they're going in that direction. So we're going to also study that. And it's, it's a matter of getting the community together and treating these people with, with counseling and uh, uh, peer, peer groups. Uh, and, uh, you know, when, when, a, when a kid overdoses and dies, you have peer people that go into that hospital, okay? And they don't just let them walk out, okay? And so this is, it's going to take that type of thing. But, but the problem is, is everybody's going to say, my God, decriminalization, you know, uh, you know, we've been fighting the war on drugs for a long time now. So that's a big move. That's a paradigm shift. Okay. And the only way you're going to get that kind of shift is you've got to have a lot of people that's going to do that. So not only about to get these million people, but along the way, we got to educate them that maybe that's the direction we've got to go in. Now, maybe not all at once. Maybe we transition some kind of way. And I, I call it an Americanized version. Of, of what Portugal is doing, okay? And so uh, let me tell you, the whole reason that I'm, I'm so into this, building this organization, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. Back about, say, uh, 10 years ago, I finally, I was actually trying to do something and I was trying to build a little bit of an organization together. And I was talking to certain politicians and I went and talked to a state senator. And at that time I was talking about, well, let's tax these opiate producers and these wholesalers that push these opiates. Let's tax these things, okay? And let's take that money and let's put billboards up about addiction and let's have some treatment, pay for some treatment and some recovery and whatnot. And it was kind of like a step in that direction. Well, I got lip service from a particular state senator that I was talking to. He said, yeah, I think that's a good idea. I'm, I'm going to work on that. Well, a couple of months went by, and like everything else, nothing was happening. And I'm not very patient, okay? So, so finally, I, I call up, and, and I, I, originally I talked to the senator. Now, now he's, he's pointing me off to the first assistant. So I go talk to the first assistant, and I start talking to him. And he starts saying, well, you know, Dan, this, these things take time. <laughs> okay, and and and, and they uh, there's a bureaucracy there and, and and such and such and you know I'm getting kind of ticked off about this and then all of a sudden my phone rings and I don't hear too well lots of times so I usually leave my phone on speaker to make sure I can hear it even I don't care if anybody ever sees it usually and it's my drugstore calling while I'm doing this argument and one of our patients has overdosed and died okay and he hears that and so in, in the midst of us having this discussion about doing this, it brings the real world to him. He sees what I'm living, okay? I, I'm seeing people dying every day. He's not seeing that. The Senate is in that. He's hearing about somebody dying. He doesn't know that person, okay? He's not, he doesn't see this, okay? So anyway, then he goes, boy, Dan, he says, I got to admit, man, I, I see what you're going through. But look, you know, but, but then he kind of reverts back to the same thing. And he says, but you know what? These things do take time. And he says, you know what the real problem is? I said, what? He said, not enough people are dying. 
and, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. I mean, he, he, actually, he, he kind of wasn't wrong. And, and in all fairness, he, 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 he realized he kind of overstepped a little bit, okay? Uh, but the truth is, there were more people dying back then than he knew. Because back in night, and it was early, like 2005, 15 years ago, and uh, most a lot of overdose deaths weren't reported. Okay, it wasn't as mandatory it is now. Local communities tried to hide their problem. Schools didn't want to know that people had drug problems. Parents didn't want their kids to be acknowledged as dying of a drug overdose. So I think back then uh, the, 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 we were up to about maybe 20,000 overdose deaths, I believe. And uh, I, I would put the number more at 40,000, but 20,000, but, but still now, now we up to like 70,000, okay? And I'm hoping that most of those are actually reported, okay? And we don't even know if that's reported. But, but, but I, what I'm getting to is though, is I have really no comeback for him, okay? You see, see, if I would have had a million person lobby, I said, you know what? You know what you just said? That's gonna be in the newspaper tomorrow, okay? Yeah. And, and, and in fact, in fact, there's going to be a ton of people call a newspaper about what you said, okay? And, and uh, you know, their tone would be different. Mm -hmm. Not only their tone, their actions would be different, okay? So that's when I started thinking about this. But, you know, at the time, I actually tried to do it, but nobody knew me. I was a small-time pharmacist, okay? I had done a couple of good things. Some people knew about it. Some people didn't, you know? And now I have that platform. Maybe I can get that lobby. Maybe I can push these politicians. You know, the, the, the conversation that we're having right now, I've, I've had this a few times, I've had this conversation with, you know, with people about, like, let's say you could do anything you wanted to address this. What would you do, right? And you brought up the war on drugs that has been fought for decades with no success. Um, you know, we've talked about policies that are in place, relationships, pharmaceutical companies and the money they put into lobbyists and how they control political outcomes and vice versa. Um, and you know, that they get, that it get away with paying fines rather than getting criminal charges up until recently, you know, and I think that. By the way, they, by the way, they don't pay the fines. No, I know well, they don't we have do. to. We yeah. do. I mean, everything they get comes from the, the so, customer. <laughs> oh yeah. They, they got paid for every pill that hit the street, even the ones <laughs> I bought from my drug deal, you know? <laughs> But the, uh, the, the, if you look at the solution, the solution here requires that you upset a system that's been in place for so long that you'd actually be like displacing people, right? Employment-wise, like if I was to say, you the will. war on drugs is a failure, you're gonna knock out a $50 billion budget for what, the DEA? You're gonna have how many unemployed agents that are no longer fighting a losing war and now we're putting all of our finances toward actually getting people well. And now you got a public health emergency. Well, yeah, you'd be employing new people and funding existing programs, but you'd be eliminating a lot of the criminalization. Now you're getting into the privatized prison industry. Now you're taking food out of people's mouths who already have huge lobbies. So like, you know, this, this, the idea of solving this. Hey, this is a mountain. Uh, it's no, a, hey, look, hey, look, this is a challenge. You know, uh, hey, the things I did, you know the, the the battles I won were small battles. Okay. This this hey, listen, is. This I'm is encouraged a, being on the battlefield with a guy like you because I watched <laughs> the way you fought a battle. You know what I mean. So like if we're in if we're in the same fight and we're in the same battleground, I'm well, with look, you, man. It's a mountain that we're climbing. Okay, and and maybe 
I don't want to think that we can't do it, okay? All right, but, but we're going to give it one hell of a try, okay? We're not going to fall out too easy, okay? Our kids are dying. Right now we have, and I don't speak in terms of death. I speak in terms of funerals. Because when you picture a funeral, you look at a coffin and the kid's laying in there, okay? And his mom and his dad and his girlfriend and his brothers and his sisters all crying around a coffin. And then there's the progression to the cemetery and putting him in the grave and mom and crying, jumping in the grave with him, okay? I mean, you know, you know, you know, that's what we're fighting for. We, we shouldn't be having in our country today 200 funerals a day, daily. No vaccines coming, okay? And in fact, on COVID, they think it's now up to 250 a day, okay? And so, you know, you know we got to change something. We got to give it a try, okay? And so I, I think we might be able to convince the public it's going to be a transition now. You're not going to wipe out the DA tomorrow. You're not going to flip a switch, okay? But maybe we can do a gradual progression to that, you know, and we're going to have to. We just got to. We are spending money in the wrong way. I mean, the money is being spent. It's just, you know, you're paying tons of DEA agents, okay? You know, you're not treating the disease, <laughs> okay? You know, so, and then you, and you're really not spending a lot of money in education in the schools to maybe prevent these people from ever getting there. And that's so. the thing. It's a, it's a system, you know? And so every, every time we speak out, every time you, you know, you get a docu-series out there, every time a book is written, every time somebody that's experienced a tragedy or a loss finds the courage and strength to speak out against an industry, against a system that's been in existence, that's been grinding us down and chewing us out and, you know, people dying at the expense of profit, for, for these agencies, you know, a bottom line or something like that. Well, it doesn't make sense for us to stop giving them out because all our customers live there, you know, like those kinds of decisions. So, you know, when we're looking at solutions, I think every little bit helps. Every noise that we make, help, make helps. And every time we can humanize, right? That's what that documentary did for me and, and, and so many of the other ones. Like the, uh, it, it humanizes people like to, to the extent that like your son, you know, it, it, without your effort, would have been dismissed as a statistic, an addict, you know, and I'm not saying this case, but some people would say, well, he, he did it to himself. Well, he was out there, you know what I mean? It wouldn't have got hurt if he wasn't out there. And, and that's just, that takes the human element out of it. That there was a person that, that there, there was a life lost and that there was no justice until you sought it out. And, you know, the same with the, with the pill mill, right? If nobody spoke up, there was profit. There were police officers being paid. There were people who didn't really want to investigate. Without somebody speaking up, without someone making the noise, it doesn't get stopped, right? Exactly. And this million-person forum that you're talking about, I mean, shit, what's a million people out of 300-plus million people? It's nothing, well, yeah, right? Well, but there's I, definitely a million concerned people that we can get. And, yeah. you know, if you're listening and you're one of them, who do, who do they get in touch with? All right, they, they, they go to Tunnel of Hope, uh, T-U-N-N-E-L, or whatever it's spelled, Tunnel of I'm gonna have it flashing across the screen. Don't worry, Dan. I got you. Dollarhope.org. Okay. okay. And it, it's that I hope y'all think that I mean it's it's pretty obvious, okay? We are in a dark tunnel, okay? And and, and we're talking about bringing light to the end of the tunnel. There usually is light. Sometimes we feel like there isn't, but we can create light at the end of the tunnel, okay? So that's what the tunnel of hope's all about. And when you actually sign in there, you're really signing into what I call the, the people's lobby, okay? And this is, we're not going to give politicians money, okay? We're not going to particularly even endorse particular politicians. Uh, we, we're going to push uh, uh, 
these people to have platforms, we're going to embarrass them if they don't do some of the things that we do. Okay, and 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 and, and the public will know it, so it will affect uh, elections without us having to pay anybody off. Okay, we should be able to win with people power. Now that's a that's a novel idea. Okay, uh, but you know I I I think we can now. The NRA, by the way, they 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 do it by people, but they also do it with money. Okay, right. and we're not going to have the money. So, you know, we need way more than a million people, if you want to know the truth. But uh, but when I say a million, some people kind of chuckle. So we'll, we'll stick with a million as a goal right now. Okay, and I don't see why we can't get it. If we, we, we can make some noise. We can make well, how some about, How about this? How about this for Matt? They say on average, there's 20 million Amer Americans struggling with substance use disorder on any given day. Okay, and I, I gotta I gotta believe that that means there's 20 million people that love those people. Okay, right. even if there's just one. Okay, there's somebody out there that loves one of those 20 million people, and that makes 20 million people who believe in what we're doing and want to see some change. So we get a fraction 40, of that. That's 40 million. You got 40 million. You know what I'm saying? If you get 10 percent of them, that's right. That's 4 million people. So, so the numbers are there. The math is good, Dan. The math, the math is, is good. Let's do it. No, that's the word out. Let's get the word it out. It all starts here. Now we did the math. It all starts here. Let's put it out there. All right. So they go to tunnelofhope.org and um, have them sign up. And you're not, you, you'll accept donations. You're not looking for them. But what you're looking for is names. You're looking to, to get a number. That's I'm right. I'm going to be one of those numbers. I'm going to put my name on there. So you can count on that. I'm going to sign sure. up. And I'm going to You got two. We're Good. this close to a million. You're two closer to a million than you were a little while ago. Well, and I, I can guarantee you a couple of listeners will do it as well. We started off with zero about four months ago, okay? I have about 8,000 followers, and this is a little disappointing, though. I have 8,000 followers, but of the 8,000 followers, the people that have actually signed in is only a little bit over 2,000, okay? okay? So I haven't even got them to transition. Now, I really think those people that are followers, they think they're in it, okay? And there's and a might. communication yeah. to them, okay? Because I have actually sampled it and called them, you know? They, oh, I'm not in it, you know? So so we're working on it, but the, the numbers are accelerating. you <laughs> The, the, the other thing is, if COVID wouldn't have came up and you got to deal with what you deal with, okay, I was going to give you speeches all around the doggone country. I was going to give commencement speeches at three major pharmacy schools. I'd have had a chance to promote this. Now, we're doing as best we can through virtual, okay? Uh, but I want to get out there, and we're starting to get out there. We'll be in Dayton this week. We were in Richmond the week before. We were in a, a little town called Shemokin, Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm working together, by the way, with Miss America, okay? Mm -hmm. That's a unique story. Do y'all know about that? I did not know about that. Okay, well, we got, look, look at this. If you don't think there's some divine intervention in this, okay, think about this, okay. I, I become, I'm unknown, and all of a sudden, February, my documentary comes out, and now people know me, okay? Yeah. Well, we've never had a Miss America before that was a pharmacist. Okay. We do now. That's great. She's a pharmacy student. The same year that the pharmacists come up, we, yeah. and her platform is Manya Meds, and what can we do to reduce the deaths or overdose deaths? She's a Narcan trainer. I love it. She's beauty and brains, okay? Yeah. She won Miss America. You know what her talent was? She performed a chemical experiment on the stage. <laughs> she cannot sing. She cannot dance. If you get off on oh this, my God. <laughs> Google it and watch her chemical experiment, okay? I have to. But, but me and her are kind of touring the country now. That's okay. Great. We double team in this thing. So, so, so we, 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 we calling ourselves the beauty and the beast. <laughs> <laughs> I 
That's perfect. So, uh, you know, it, it, I'm going to tell you another crazy coincidence in that, okay? Me and her bound together pretty much by, this, by the same focus. But you know what? There's another coincidence. She has the same entertainment attorney as I do. My entertainment oh, wow. attorney is in New Orleans. She lives in Pennsylvania. How did we have, you know, that there's, there's so many God coincidences. What do they call it? called kismet. Yeah, yeah. Kismet. Well, you know, you you know, see that? You know what that is? That's the tunnel of hope. That's my response email. I just signed up. You got another one. Well, thank 2001. Thank you. That. That's right. Amen. I want everyone that's watching to get that same email. So you just go on there, yeah, put in your exactly. name. You know, we, we, we're going to wind up, you know, you hate to say it, we're going to wind up, these politicians are going to respect. I like to say scare, but I'll go easy on them, okay? They're going to respect us. Okay? Well, just let's stir them up a little bit. We just got to stir the pot, right? Amen. Amen. You know, we're going to fight back. That's the dog wants. We, we got, who's going to fight for those kids? Who's fighting for my son? He yeah. can't fight anymore. That's right. We've lost a million, okay? They can't fight anymore. And then how many people have struggled? Thank God for Marina and her daughter seems to be fine now, okay? Uh, that, you know, but I, I bet she went through hell getting there, okay? And you probably still have a little residual fear, okay? Now, I think it's always like that, but I, I'm the lucky one because I still have her here. That's the ultimate, you know, the ultimate loss is, is, is losing the child. And anything other than that is lucky. Well, you know, my uh, my son is with me. If y'all look back uh, over my shoulder, I see yeah. him. I see That's him. him. He's always he's always there with me. And I, I will tell you this: that just a couple of days before he died, uh, I I had seen a couple things he did. There was a little bit of a hint that maybe something was going on. I couldn't figure out what it was. So I went up to him and I said, son, are you doing drugs again? You know, I'm thinking he's smoking a little extra pot or something, okay? And he says, no, Dad, I'm not. And I said, you're not going to have your drug tested. He said, well, go ahead. Okay, I'm, I'm okay. And so, of course, he was lying, okay? Yeah. Uh, he was doing drugs, okay? But what he told me was, he says, Dad, I'm depressed, okay? And I said, man, you're not suicidal. And I got a gift. He said, Dad, no, I got a great mom and dad. I got a great life, okay? I'm just disappointed in myself. I expect more of myself. My grades aren't going good. Now, he's struggling with addiction, and he's not admitting that, but he's admitting depression. Well, I eased up on him a little bit. I said, look, son, uh, you know, instead of trying to be an architect, why don't you try to be a, uh, a designer, what they call it? I mean, uh, uh, I can't remember the name, but they just draft, draftsmen, okay? And, and, I, and I said, uh, you know, me and mom would be proud no matter, you know, what you do. You could be a beer truck driver or whatnot. We took a lot of pressure off of him, and I, and I, Gave him some ideas of what he could do to, 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 to set his life straight. Well, he came to me about a day or two later and he says, Dad, you know, you're right. He says, I'm going to do this. And we really saw, it, it's, it's sad because we saw a change in him, okay? And uh, unfortunately, he couldn't resist going out that night and a bad thing happened. But he, well, about two days before he died, he said, Dad, you know, I've decided I'm going to go ahead and be a draftsman. Later on, if I can become an architect, I will, okay? He says, but Dad, there's two other things I'd like to do. He says, I love to write, okay? And he's written poems, okay? I'll send you a couple of his poems, okay? Mm -hmm. And I love to write. He says, I'm going to do that part-time, and, you know, if it turns into something fine, but I'm not expecting it to. He says, the other thing I'd like to do is I'd like to talk to kids about not doing drugs. Um, and, you know, at the time, I said, this kid finally gets it. 
I, you know, now I know it was his cry out that he hadn't realized he had gotten himself trapped. And unfortunately, he didn't. He 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 didn't want to tell me. Of course, there, there would have been some repercussions. But I don't think he wanted to disappoint me. Okay, because mm -hmm. I had warned him about you know. Okay, you smoking pot. Okay, you shouldn't be smoking pot. You're too young to smoke pot. Probably should never smoke it. Okay, but you know it leads to other things. Okay. Oh yeah, now that ain't gonna happen to me. Well, it did. Okay, I'm not saying it happens to everybody. Okay, but the it, it did, and he realized he was trapped. I'll tell you another thing he did. He did everything he could do to avoid going out that night. I told him about Benadryl. Okay, I said, son, look, if you're having trouble sleeping, drink a beer and take a Benadryl. Okay. Well, that night before he went out, he asked his sister, where's the Benadryl? And she kind of wouldn't bother with him too much. Okay. And so he went wrestling in our cabinet where we keep the meds. And apparently he didn't find the Benadryl. Well, after he died, my daughter told me about that. And I went to that cabinet. And the reason why he didn't get the Benadryl was because it was the generic name. He didn't understand the generic name. The Benadryl was there, okay? Another thing he did, a couple of days before he, 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 he passed, or about a week before he passed, he had talked to some of his friends. These other friends were drug users, but they, they really weren't doing crack, okay? And, uh, and he knew it was more dangerous, okay? And he told them, I'm having cravings. I'm having trouble not doing this. And they said, well, look, man, call us up, and we'll go out and have a beer. We'll play pool. We'll do something. We'll get it off our mind. Well, my son left the house that night at 10.30, okay? Five minutes after he left the phone call, it was his friend calling him to go have a beer with him, okay? So, you know, this kid was really trying. So you asked why what motivates me? It's a special story. Uh, it was a, really a, a, a special kid that was really trying and got trapped and and didn't know what to say to his dad, and, uh, and, and, and he had a brain disease. He, 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 he couldn't resist going out that night, okay? And he didn't want to go, okay? And so uh, that motivates me. That motivates me. We, 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 we you know, couldn't save him, but his story can save others. Absolutely. I think you've saved a lot of people just by the work that you've done already, and I think you're going to continue to do that. And I know your son is proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I know it too. I know it too. Wow. I got to say thank you, Dan. You know, uh, I mean, I, it's, it's always, you know, for me and, and for our listeners too, I mean, you know, to, to, to watch, um, you know, that docuseries unfold and to see the work that was put in from you and the adversity that you faced and, and just the drive to, to, to make change uh, where other people would have been happy to just let it continue. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to, to see that and then to be able to just speak to you myself and, and, and hear your story, it just means a lot to me. And I appreciate you taking the time out of your life to sit down with us um, and also to our listeners who, you know, are mostly made up of parents and family members and people in the industry who I'm sure have also seen the docuseries and just to to be able to hear a little bit more from your perspective, I think was just really insightful and, and, and really grateful that you took the time to join us and our listeners and, and, and share I, your story. I, I appreciate it. You guys are working too, just like I am, it, it, you know, again, and, and we probably are the ones that's doing a lot. Okay. And we need a few to do a lot. Okay. Right. But we also need a lot to do a little, and that's where we got to get big numbers. Let's work on that. And on that note, <laughs> Go to tunnelsofhope.org, put your email address and your name in like I did, become one of the many, okay? Do the little that's asked of you, 
and let's make some change, right? Amen. I All agree. Right, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, this has been another great episode of Collateral Damage. Thank you to our special guest, the pharmacist, Dan Schneider. Um, and uh, please check the show notes for links to things that you maybe haven't seen. Or uh, if you're listening to this, check out the YouTube video so that you can see some of the things that we'll have up on the screen uh, during the show as well. So uh, again, thank you, Dan. And as always, Maureen, it's been wonderful. Same you, Maureen. Same you, Mike. You know, yep. and, uh, Thanks again. I'll send you to my Facebook. I got a public page and I have a supporters page. And then, of course, I have a just a regular page. Okay, so... Uh, I'll yeah. send that to you also. Good. Excellent. Good. Thank you, Dan. All right, Dan. Have, have a good, a good have a good one. Go have a good night. All right. Bye. Bye.